This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey everybody, welcome back to Educational Triage. This is Tony, and of course we have our fabulous Philip. Aloha. Hey Philip, how are you tonight? I'm doing fair to Midland. Can't be, can't be too bad. Well, good. It's beautiful weather outside. We're in June. Tis. The flowers are blooming. The bees are buzzing. The and are raging. <laughs> <laughs> and tonight we are talking about schools behind bars. Or not behind bars, but under the authority of some of such. Uh, yes, under the juvenile. Oh no! Don't. Under some kind of juvenile justice. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, call it the juvenile justice umbrella. Except, believe it or not, yeah. believe it or not, but even that is tenuous. There are so many pieces of this puzzle. It's really amazing, and I cannot believe what I wasn't able to find out and what I was able to find out and how I had to find it out. <laughs> this is such a mishmash. I don't know how else to put it. So when looking for data, because we want data and we want to present the most recent data, I tried four different AIs to get the data. They all gave me the same thing. They couldn't give me any data because there was nothing that was recent. The most AI. recent data that they published was 2019. We cannot get any data that was published post 2019. I think I did find something for 2020, but it was it was um, dubious at best. And this is going through the Department of Justice. This is going through juvenile justice departments. This is everything. What I can tell you is that in 2019, that there were just under 50,000 students participating, and I'm going to call them students because we're going from an educational viewpoint here. Mm -hmm, we are. 50, under 50,000 students involved in juvenile justice at that point in time why we can't get any numbers beyond that. And these were published in 2022. So there's nothing, or 2021, there's nothing that's been published. I don't have any idea. It just feels fishy. So we have all of these numbers of these people and then trying to figure out, I would have I, I finally gave up. I was trying to crunch numbers, and I just couldn't do it. 
I just couldn't do it. There were just too many categories with too many categories that you have to try to figure everything out. So, and then it goes by states, it goes by everything. Just to let you know that in some states, the education that is run bought through the Department of Corrections, let's say, that students go through is run through the Department of Corrections. And so they answer to the Department of Corrections. And then there are other states where the students are housed and taken care of by the Department of Corrections, but the educational components are run through the Department of Education for that state. Is everyone following this? <laughs> so it's it's that part of it is kind of cut and dry. You just need yeah. to figure out which state you're in. We don't have time to go through all the different states. True. So, and you and I worked with varying types of students in juvenile justice. We did. We so did. some of the schools that we, that there are, we have residential, we have the lockup, and that can be adult, adolescent, pre-adolescent, and then you have high security, you have low security, and then you have some others, and those would be boot camps, where this where they go through a boot camp, and there is yeah. some sort of therapeutic component, educational component, and something else. I'm not completely sure as to how it all plays out. I know that there is the YCP, the Youth Challenge Program. Mm-hmm. run by the National Guard, and that appears in several states. And yeah. that's a really good one, and it works with mentors. And I know several students who've gone through it who became incredibly successful. Their entire attitudes just turned around completely. I've known a couple like that too. Yeah. The, the problem was when, when they left, their world fell apart. Because their living situation and the people that surrounded them, despite my being a mentor for at least one, their circumstances were not good enough for them to be able to survive with what they had. Hmm. The change the change couldn't be a complete change because the people in their lives who they had couldn't accept that and expected them to stay the same and they weren't strong enough to fight back. Did that make sense? I, that makes sense. Now I know okay. what you mean, yeah. A lot of the okay. structure when you're at that, in that situation is very reassuring and helpful, you know, guide you quite a what, quite a quite a bit, but then peer mm-hmm. pressure takes over. Remember, we're only seventeen percent at the very most, isn't it, with schools? So even if it's a residential like a YCP, mm-hmm. if you come back out of it, you lose that structure. Waking up in the morning, having duty, being accountable to others, right, changes things. Yeah, right. And so part of this came from a subreddit that we found and we were reading through it. And some people were talking about how wonderful it was to work in a prison 
or detention center. And others were talking about how it was one of the most difficult jobs that they ever took and that they just didn't have the temperament for it. And I think you do have to have the right temperament for it, correct? I believe you do. Yeah, there's some, I don't know what it would be. (laughs) I I think, I couldn't say. I think you have to look at the kid and not the crime. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, yeah, big time. I was was actually unaware many times, and I wanted to stay unaware of the particular crime that uh, one of my students had committed. I did not want to know. Um, It was being dealt with somewhere else in treatment and in group, and that was their job, and my job was to educate this kid and and develop that relationship. I did change, I did treat them differently since, well, I work with sex offenders, so they have certain behaviors you watch for and you should become aware of, and and certain mm-hmm. images and ideas and such you don't talk about in front of an SO. But um, yeah, but other than that, it was always just interested in the same learning relationship I have with any student, especially them, because a lot right. of them were behind. They're like, holy cow. I, so it was kind of almost, well, it wasn't kind of almost, it was a good thing. A lot of times it was a smaller school. So a lot of these kids got a lot of my attention. I think what makes people crazy when they go into a situation like this, and I had to really rewire my brain in order to figure it out, Mm. was when you're dealing with a transitional kind of setting where a student might be there for one one day to two weeks maybe, waiting Mm. for their placement to go through, waiting for something else to happen, and you don't know where they are, and maybe you feel like you made a connection next day, they're not there. Uh, And how do you teach those students? And so that was perhaps one of the better challenges I found. And I do like a good challenge. I remember that challenge. Because you, you, the, the, the organization that I was working with, with my population, because I worked with kids who had committed all kinds of felonies yeah, before they transitioned down to the one. Um, and we had the transitional kids come in too, while they were being evaluated and the, the, the residents determined that they should not be sharing space. And so the district and I worked hard to figure out how we were going to take care of that. And it almost came to blows. Hmm. And then we were able to rectify it. And then we were able to send them over so that they could toddle through the door to you. That's what that was. That's what happened. So, uh, however, it did lead to a very interesting situation for me, which tested my nimble and agile skills as an educator, because you're yeah. right. I got a kid in for like a day or two. Sometimes I'd ask, how long do you know how long they'll be here? Nope. I haven't got a clue. Like, really? Hmm. You really don't. I definitely really didn't. Don't. And some kids would be there for a long while and they would become very stable factors and i would definitely mm-hmm. use that you know and yeah uh, they, they'd earn status from behavior 
and that was really a good system because it was sort of like, hey, I've been here a while and you just showed up and uh, Mr. Summers is not a bad guy. So why don't you stop doing that? And listen to him, <laughs> which was always really nice to hear. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm really not a, a bad guy. And I had the pleasure of being able to have the kids that were in residence along with the temporary and I could mix them up a little bit so that they would mentor them. The thing too about both of them is they were using that same peer culture. Positive system. peer culture. Yep. Right. And, and that and that's was good. And that's <laughs> they, something that yeah. we talked about with Joe McQueen. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you guys covered that because that's I I am a big believer in that. When it is clicking, it is something to see. It really is, and I have to tell people, either watch the videos with Joe McQueen or just listen to the podcast. I am really sorry Philip's not in it. We did record a podcast and I may actually release it because I love what happened in it, but (laughs) we had so many technical difficulties with the whole thing that we had to reschedule it and Philip wasn't able to make that recording session. So, uh, yeah, but I I may still release that one. It's a great one. And um yeah, because we have the techno all, nightmare. <laughs> because start, all teenagers stop, are basically stop. the same and Thank they you. all look yeah. for the same thing. They're all looking for acceptance, they're all looking for love, they're all looking for stability, and they're all looking for something better. Consistency so, a lot of times. And yeah, they want to know where the lines are. Hey, you know. Exactly. It, and <laughs> don't go past that one. <laughs> just because yeah. if you put the structures in place and you draw the lines and you go with the lines, because a lot of times at home, parents will say, you cannot do this. And the kids will do it. And they'll say, oh, what am I going to do with you? And so there's never that red line marker. Right. And kids get away with a lot more than we ever did when we were kids, I think. And what that's all about, I don't know. We're not here to talk about parenting, even though we probably should. Um, <laughs> but I'm the proud owner of four kids. But yeah. but they will act out and challenge you on those structures and those boundaries. And you just have to remain firm so that they know it. It's a question of safety, both emotional, both mental and physical. Yes, it is. It is. Um, that's that's really sound. Yeah, that's the word. I, I usually say other things like, you know, the relationship is important. But when it comes to kids that are adjudicated, kids in those kinds of situations, any kid, but especially those other kids, the safety issue, they know where the boundaries are, theirs and yours. And uh, So if you're a teacher and you're teaching in the mainstream, or let's say that you are in an alternative program, or you're a parent, or you're just a community member, and you want to know what gets these kids into these, uh, into lockup, into these troubles, um, hopefully we'll be able to bring some more light to the, how the school-to-prison pipeline actually begins and how it sort of coalesces and gets bigger um, on another episode here soon. So the things that every offender tends to show is that they have low achievement in school. So every time that a teacher says, you're not here, whatever, 
we're going to move on past you. And they have the machine. We've talked about the machine, how the machine just kind of grinds kids out. And some of those kids aren't there. And for some one factor or another, they don't get it. They need a little bit of extra help. And, and they so, lose, they fall behind exponentially at very early ages. Right. You know, and there's no way for them to catch up. Is, yeah, is going to set you back like almost impossibly. So if you're if and you're children of this, poverty, yeah, yeah, children of poverty are usually yeah. the ones who are hardest hit. Mm-hmm. Second one would be academic failure. So if hand students aren't doing well academically, and if they fail, um, I think going to the Carol Dweck, uh, looking at growth mindset, if teachers can look at students and say you're not there yet, mm-hmm. that's much better than giving them the F. And I know a lot of teachers like to do, because they like everything regimented and they want to have the A, B, C, D, F, or the incomplete or something, and they want everything yeah. boxed up because it it works for them and they can put everything into a nice, tidy box. That's how education the system works. is messy. Yeah, that's, that's how the schedule works. That's how education works. Right. That's how this unit works. Because yeah. you allow it to work that way. Yeah, you pretty much make it work that way. Um, They'll have a negative attitude towards school. Mm -hmm. So how are you creating a positive environment for every student that walks through that door? How are you creating that so that every time a student walks through the door, it's a brand new day for them? It's a brand new opportunity for them. It's an incredible amount of pressure, but it's so, so important. It is so bloody difficult. And there are some days when you can tell the kids, if you have a good relationship with them, I really want you guys to feel good about today, but I feel like crap. I can't do it. So show me how I can make today better. Actually, that's the best strategy. Hey, I need your help. (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. No, nothing at all, especially if your kids are like in tune with you. Right. And then we have low bonding to school. Like their affinity to school just isn't there. They don't really, there's no reason for them to be there. So, and that also includes low school attachment. They just, there's nothing about school that they really want to be there for. And part of that onus is on the teachers, it's on the administration, it's on the school culture, it's on everybody. Uh, It's on the parents as well. So the low commitment to school and then having frequent school transitions. If your parents move a lot, Mm -hmm. if there is a reason why you have to leave one school and move to another school and it's constant, and it happens a lot. I know. I went to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight schools. In what? In grades one, uh, one through twelve. Grades K through twelve. K through twelve. Well, oh, <laughs> right. Huh. So, wow. and I, I met another kid um, when I came to my last high school. He and I were sitting together, and I said. And, and we were talking and he said, oh, good, you're new too. And I said, yeah. And I said, where'd you come from? And he said, which time? He said, this is my fourth school this year. 
Wow. I said, are you kidding? He said, no, yes. my mom moves us a lot. And then he was gone within two days. Your mom moves you a lot. So, and I said, were you, <laughs> where did you last live? And I think he had last lived in like Arizona or something. And so it's not just like local moves. It's, no. it's huge geographic moves. So, because every time that a kid transitions, there has to be a new reassessment of them because the school records, while they are supposed to follow the kid, it takes time for them to get there. And then yeah. the teacher has to figure out, or the staff or whatever, you have to figure out where that student is and what his or her levels of, of proficiency are. What can I, they do? I can tell you from experience that it would take a little while, you know, from a few days to a few weeks, maybe longer. District could to take district, a year. it could take never to get it from some other state. I don't think I ever had records come and transferred easily or at all from anybody who came in from out of state. It was just like lost forever. <laughs> and if you're working in a program or if you're working in a school, um, and requesting records, and you have another school that is overseeing what you're doing, that complicates things even further. So, okay, low academic aspirations. If a kid comes That's in and true. says, I don't know what I want to do, I really, because I'm too stupid, I can't do the math, I can't read this. Um, there, were, there, there are some kids who are in lockup who cannot read or write. They don't know how. And they're high school age. They're almost ready to graduate. Why? How did that happen? That is on the school. It is on the school. So think about that. Think about suspensions. When you suspend a kid, how is that helping them academically? And how is that helping the community? Same thing with expulsions and exclusions. Did you know that 46 to 80% of those incarcerated in juvenile detention facilities had been expelled or excluded from school? How many? 46 to 80%. Depends on, depends on ethnicity and gender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ethnicity and gender. Well, yes. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. Oh, gosh. Okay. So if we talk about truancy and absenteeism, how are we... That, I think, goes along with school attachment. Why isn't, this, why isn't the kid there? True. Some families hold their kids back because culturally, maybe, parents need to be working. There's that. In some families, the kids need to be working. School takes a back seat to survival. And there's nothing you can do about that. You come up with a better option for them to survive. That makes then then you have something. That's a but middle class say, land when you look at it. That well, how come exactly. you're not allowed to work? Well, what do you? This, this is your job. It's like uh, not if I want to eat. Right, <laughs> right. You know, um, inadequate yeah. school climate. What's an inadequate school climate? 
shall we list them off? Any place from uh, yeah, out of control bullying to just a segregated school with really cruddy facilities and uh, building conditions. I would I mean, say it goes further than that. I would say, yeah. I would say any climate where a kid walks through the door and they do not feel welcome, they do not feel wanted, they do mm. not feel needed, they don't feel as though they're going to be able to count for anything. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not conducive to learning comfortably and safely. Right, school dropout. If a kid drops out of school, they're more inclined to be incarcerated later on. Also, grade repetition. Now, this was interesting. Hmm. The later in life, say in like later middle school or even high school, if a student has to repeat a grade, they are more likely, there's a 50-50 chance of them going into into some form of lockup. Wow. So, okay, here's some other factors. Remedial or low achieving in juvenile justice education, the remedial, if they're at a remedial level or they're low achieving, the recidivism rates are two times higher than others. That makes total sense. So if, you, if you're working in juvenile justice or you have a student who comes back from juvenile justice and they're in your room and they are low achieving, what are you doing to help support them? How are you finding resources? Because it shouldn't all be on your shoulders. We're not saying that. We're saying, how do you grab the resources and get others to work with you so that we so that you can work with that student and bring them up? There's there your teachers are smart people. I do know some very lazy teachers who say, well, that's not my problem. That's the, that's the parent's problem. But overall, teachers know, and I think teachers tend to have huge hearts, and they really do want to help. And sometimes they feel helpless. But finding the right resources and working with the students, I think that can be done. Um, above average academics, there are some kids who are good about attendance. They're really good with their academics. Now they are less likely to reoffend because they already have some form of success. So yeah. let's take a look and let's say that success is the key component. How do we pave the road to success for all these students? Does that, is that making a lot more sense? Yeah. It's, it's really imperative that, well, it's prevention. It's going to the source of the problem before it becomes the problem. Right. Keeping kids in school, keeping schools involved and vibrant and learning easy, easier, safer, and more accommodating. Better schools, less of these kids in the prison systems and the adjudicated programs that they need. Now, there are some things that will happen. And there are some programs, you know, and kids get involved in drugs or there's sex offenses and things like that. But generally speaking, there's a culture of crime outside of school. And if you make schools uninviting, people are invited to go commit those things too. It's really not good. I, I can think of one kid. I keep on having this one kid I had where 
he was a very, very undereducated, very large black male kid. <laughs> I love the heck out of him. And, um, but I just feared for him because his, his abilities were so low. His comprehension was so low. I'm pretty sure there was really low intellect, um, not just, you know, uninvolvement with school since forever. And he was a big black kid. And it just was like, ah, oh, dude, because he could just, he could be misunderstood so quickly. And then you start to go, you know, you give me any guff and you go, hey, wait a second here. And, you know, he's a kid. He was only 16 and he was about six foot two and onward about 250. You know, he was, the football coaches would have been after him for sure in a regular school. They're the ones I called the baby Hueys. Yeah, he was like, he was like that go, oh, wow. Football team, he's my first pick. That guy. Because you have this humongous kid. And so you think of them as being much older than they are. You do. But they're really younger. And so you have to imagine them as a baby Huey. Now, for people who yeah. don't know who baby Huey is, he was a cartoon character and he was an oversized, was he a duck? What was he? Yeah, I think so. He was a baby, but he His was bigger than everybody else. And he wore yeah. a little baby bonnet and everything. And he was just a little kid. And so it was just kind of fun. And he got into but, the trouble that a big, you know, big adult person would get into <laughs> if they didn't know better. And that yeah. was Clint. That was his name. Yeah. Anyway. That, right. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. So we're also looking at students who have a lower overall IQ score. <sighs> And that's it. That's low standard achievement, low standardized achievement. They don't do well on the tests and they have a low verbal and low math scale scores. These all link to recidivism because if they can't do things, what, what kind of future do they actually have? What's exactly what, you what, don't what can have offer? anything. And we're going to talk about outcomes pretty soon. So let's talk about special ed now. Special ed is overrepresented in the courts. They have emotional disabilities. They have specific learning disabilities. Now, autism spectrum disorder, developmental cognitive disabilities, physical sensory impaired, and language and speech impaired are underrepresented. So, hmm. in the juvenile justice educational program, students with disabilities are less likely to earn grade promotions and diplomas with peers, despite being on par with them with grades in their work. Yeah. So, well, that, makes that I read that over and over and over and kept looking for a little bit more of a def definition on that, but that's what I had. Okay. History of special education is limited to recidivism, but those with disabilities are more likely to return to school than those without disabilities. I wonder if that's a support issue. I think it is a support issue. <laughs> They're just you know, um, paid attention to. I'm sorry. Now, dead. here's something that I found absolutely fascinating, and that's yeah. one third of students in juvenile justice education are qualified yeah. special education. Okay. Yeah. That's over 33%. Now, when we did our numbers in my program, we started realizing we were at one point, we were at 45% special ed. 
Uh, <laughs> and they were trying to give us more special ed students, and we had to say no. That we can't take any more special ed students. We need you guys to pair those back because they were trying to figure out a way that they could use us as a dumping ground. And while I loved yeah. all the kids, we thought the kids were wonderful, but we had other students who wanted to get in too. And so we were able to figure something out because all the special ed kids required extra. And there was nothing wrong with that. But you cannot work with five extras at the same time effectively and efficiently. So we, it all worked out. But by the I, same I token, that, yeah. alternative ed, I will say, has a much higher population of special ed in it than regular ed. And regular ed, if you look at the special ed population, they tend to be around plus a, a little under 9%. Yeah. Generally speaking, like, yeah, 9, 10, 11% is your general population of special ed. Mm -hmm. But not for the alternative programs. Those tend to go up quick. And then I do recall that there was a little debate there about all the kids that were special ed coming in. I'm like, hey, slow down here. <laughs> it's like, I got to pay attention to some other kids that are actually at grade level and things like that. And I can't give my attention to both levels. I couldn't. They couldn't quite bring the two curriculums gracefully together on a big scale. Mm -hmm. So I had to sort of like, I was using a lot of peers as well to help the kids learn. And uh, that was helpful as well. But you couldn't have, you can't have more people who need help than peers. Here's the outcomes that come from this are students can get a GED or a high school diploma many times. Except I had a student who was coming out of one of the programs. They told him he was graduating. And then an hour before graduation, they told him he was two credits short. Who, what, who, who did this? Who made this incredibly big move? I'm not going to say. I'm okay. not going to say. I was absolutely <laughs> furious. I was absolutely <laughs> furious. I was at his graduation. This was in yes. another part of the state. I had just driven over there with, uh, with a social worker who was one of the caseworkers for the family. Yeah. And we learned of this and he was very upset. And so we had to calm him down. His mama was there and, and his siblings were there. We got him calmed down. I had to make phone calls yeah. to find out what we were going to do for him because now we had to pick up and figure out how we were going to take care of him because right. instead of being a feather in our cap, all of a sudden, that feather was shoved up into another part of the body and <laughs> that that had no pores. So um, we were able to get him into another program. But as I, but this was the one that I told you that did not do well. Yeah. When he came back, he would have done much better. Uh, he and I were talking about jobs. And he said, I went and I interviewed for a job at this one place. And I said, okay, did you fill out the application? He said, no, because they wanted me to drug test before I could fill out an application. And so he was back to his old self. Huh. But that goes back to the, to the yeah. adage, you know, you need to change your playpen. You need to change your playmates. And for yeah. a lot of our kids, they're so fragile. They don't have that ability because... 
nobody is there. And so as a mentor, they thought that I could help him, but I can only, the mentor can only do so much. If there's nothing coming from the other side, then you can't constantly be trying to chase somebody down while you're holding down a job and doing everything else. I did the best I could. We still had contact. We stayed in touch for several years, but it was hit and miss. Oh yeah, just just to add some, yeah, some insight into what that what what might have drawn that student away so rapidly, or you know, incredibly or incredulously, is uh, the po- cultural poverty. A lot of times, yes. if if we're speaking about certain situations where you don't have any money, then everyone shares resources, and that culture becomes an interdependent sort of thing, and mm-hmm. it's embedded. And if you don't have anything, at least you got them. And that's a lot of times a big pull, the culture of poverty, you know, that these people need me as much as I need them. And you stay in that cycle. So you'll go backward into it. So that, that might account for some of what was going on there, but. Right. I don't think that yeah. he was ever, he was so surprised. He did so well in all of his classes. He, he really, he plowed through a lot of them. Part of the problem is that, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, last week, with the state mandating that you have to have X number of hours of coursework or instruction time. And so I know that he could have plowed through a lot more and taken care of those two credits. But uh, we're, we're starting to figure out ways where starting to get a little bit more motivated to try to figure out how to work with the state in changing these ideals. Um, And I know a lot of people say, no, you can't change those rules. Yeah, you can. And it's, it's not about having this one standard. It's about not listening to what is needed and what's necessary. It's not how long you sat in a chair. Exactly. Seat time is ridiculous. And it's a fight that we've been, that at least at the state level, and I know at the national level, that a lot of different programs and a lot of organizations have been trying to fight. But then when you have legislators and you have politicians, you have all these other people, these policymakers, and we talked about educational policymakers, they don't know what they're talking about. Because they (laughs) They don't don't know about education. (laughs) Their shoes have never been dirtied by the mud of the school. Um, (laughs) Walking in school, I I could get sick. Places are Um, (laughs) schools. They mandate these things without giving Uh, a second thought, and even superintendents and school boards, they just look at the bright, shiny princess or prince that they have and how many valedictorians <laughs> they're going to have, they don't really care that much. They will say that they do, but then you look at their actions. They don't really do that much for the underserved populations. So, okay. So mentorships and internships, if those can be set up for students, because having a job and having a future tends to be the one thing that really motivates them. This Getting a high has school a diploma. About that. Yeah. So your state has a really good program about Getting the mm-hmm. diploma or the GED and secondary ed vocational programs, and I will classes. say that at the at at one of the big state juvenile lockup facilities, they have some really good skill setters, where they're working with them. Um, but then here's the cool thing: 
and this is something I didn't know. If you can set them up to further their education, whether it's a trade school, whether or not it's going to community college or to college, mm-hmm. because as you said, a lot of the kids are in poverty. And and that is what many times sets them up because poverty is m- not just not having the money. Poverty is also poverty of a lack of education. It's a lack of knowing. It's a lack of understanding. It There's, there's so much to poverty that if you read Ruby Payne, you'll learn a lot more about this. And so she's a wonderful resource. But we got to stop setting our kids up for failure. And even though you say, my kids are doing gangbusters, are they all doing gangbusters? How many of your kids are being left behind? Now, there are some kids who you try to do everything you possibly can, but it's not always going to work. But you have to remember, the teenage brain is not a fully formed brain. Negative. The teenage male does not have a fully formed brain, and it doesn't really start to solidify until 24, 25, 26. Oh, I thought it was like 48. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 62, so you, and I'm just now getting it. So, so you have to figure all of... You, you, you just have to figure all of this out. Now... Yeah. If they can get a high school diploma or a GED, guess what else they can do? Go to college. Even if they're incarcerated, they can still they still qualify. They're still eligible to receive Pell grants. Yes. Because yeah. Right. Because under Obama and furthered by Trump, I have no idea where it is with Biden. This was made available. And so to help in prison reform, they saw that just the idea that they could do this, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And so this gives people a leg up and a way out. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. So because studies show that with training and education, students can become vital members of contributing society. And I think that's what we need to look at. How is this student going to be a contributing member of society? And sometimes we we do become exasperated and we look at a student and we think, oh my gosh, today that kid is just really wasting the air that I breathe. <laughs> and sometimes, and you're allowed to feel that way, but you also have to remember, they're a human being and there's something to it. And maybe it has something to do with family. Yeah. Maybe it has to do with trauma. All kinds of issues. And there's only so much that we are capable of doing. But as long as we know we've done our best to get there, I think that's one of the first steps. But we also have to keep in mind that not all children are middle class. Not all of them have middle class values. I've met a lot of administrators who ask me, how do you deal with parents who tell you that they need the kids home to babysit? And I say, how do you tell a parent that they can't go to work at their three jobs in order to keep a roof over their head, feed their kids, and put clothes on their back so that they look happy and healthy when they go to school? 
What's the alternative that you're going to provide for them? How are you going to work with them in order to have that happen? How do you create a partnership with those families? That's why I think we need to have more community sort of networks that are set up in the schools. And I'm not talking about just pre-K through eight. I'm talking about pre-K through 12, where the parents are involved. And if we can give them some education as well and set that up with the community colleges or something at free and have things set up so that parents can learn how to read and write, because a lot of them, you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised. I was asked the other day, how much are you going to charge me to teach me how to read and write? And I said, (laughs) in English. And they said, no, Spanish. And I said, oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, people want to have those skills. Yeah, they do. But they're also exhausted. So here's something I just, I came across, uh, Oregon Youth Authority Quick Facts (laughs) from January 2023 on the uh, youth population and such in in their programs right now. Um, But it says that concerning their social characteristics, Diagnosed, diagnosed mental health disorder, 67% the males and 91% of the females have that. Parents use wow. drugs or alcohol, 64 for the men or the, the males, 75 for the females. Past suicide behaviors, males 13, females 25. History of abuse or neglect, males 54%, females 77%. Special education needs, males 33, females 25. And substance abuse or dependence, males 56, females 66%. Holy so, cow. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of strikes against these four kids. And I think what we have to remember is that we have to have compassion. That doesn't mean that we cry. That doesn't mean that we fawn over them. It means that we understand and that we go into it with an understanding of how do we take care of them and how do we move them forward? How do we set those boundaries and how do we keep them so that they know that you are safe, that they can learn in a safe environment and that you're there for them. So even if they do commit a crime and we're going to be, we're going to be continuing on this, that they're still welcome, wanted, needed and heard when they come back to you. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say that if we want the kids to do the best they can, we have to give them places to do that. And we have to work the best we can to give them those. So I know this seems kind of a downer of an episode, but Mm -hmm. I think that just having these facts and for people to kind of mull these over and consider and not to speculate and not to try to get into the prurient um, nature of trying to figure out what their stories are and try to get them to war story why they were gone or anything like that. But yeah, just understand yeah. that their circumstances are not your circumstances. You don't, you never ever tell a student, I know all about everything because you don't know everything that there is to know about it. There's some things they know that you don't want to know about. You know, either. some wee aspects and you really don't want to hear. Believe me, I have heard 
I have heard things I did not want to hear because the students thought that I was safe to to hear it. And it's like, no. So, <laughs> oh, um, too. oh, I've overheard things like, yo, time out. No, I can't unhear that. And I never want to hear that again. <laughs> let's talk about what teachers say. Teachers say that they like it because it's very structured. And they know that if a teacher, kid talks back, all they have to do is snap their fingers or say something. Somebody comes barreling through the door, takes care of the kid, removes him from class. (laughs) Here's my question. (laughs) Here's my question. Yeah. Why? 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 Yeah, exactly. Why do you want them removed from class? That's probably what they wanted, or they wanted to see how they could get under your skin. They're probably bored. It's great. What I found with my students was as long as I kept them active, we were kinetic. We had a lot of dialogue that was going. We had quiet time. Um, We would, they would prank me. I would prank them back. We had a great time while we were there. We had a great biome. And here's what I will say. If you foster great relationships with kids, I was asked to go to work at both the transition center for the state as well as the major lockup center for the state. And I just couldn't do it because I did not want to walk around with walkie talkies. And I did not want to have to be in that kind of an atmosphere where I was teaching because to me that takes so much away from teaching. But even when I was at both of those places, because I was there to discuss curriculum and development, because I worked with people from there, I want to see the kids as kids. And when I saw the kids that I knew, both from my gang kids, from all, I even saw kids, I saw kids from all different programs that I'd worked in. They're kids. They're kids. Yes, they're kids. Ooh, wow. Okay. Some stuff they do. We talked Winding up. Winding up. Yeah. Compassion. Think and know and listen. And let's not let's 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 make sure that kids are kids. Kids are kids. So with that, I'm going to bid you adieu and Philip. I don't know. Next week. Sounds and great. Until then, adios. <laughs>